0: We started off this weekend with a little trip to Ireland and looking at how they've decided to destroy their agriculture if they go ahead with culling hundreds of thousands of cows. Let's take another trip to Ireland as we see how they are trying to destroy every other pa- yeah, part of their culture. we're spoiling you,
1: Ireland, aren't we, with our coverage we this really weekend? We really are,
0: but only because you've decided that, once, as I mentioned in that segment earlier, that um, cyanide is very tasty this time mm. of year. Yum, yum, yum. Let me gobble it up. Uh, before I get any further, first I'd like to point to the website where we've got so much excellent work that you can take a look at and learn from and uh, in particular there was a recent Epochs, my first appearance on Epochs, which I really enjoyed talking with Bo about the Spanish Civil War and we dispel a few of the myths talking about that and Bo goes at one point on a rather epic rant against of all people George Orwell and the perspectives that he puts forward in Homage to Catalonia which seems like a very useful book for understanding the history but also one in which George Orwell's um socialist leanings loom large shall we say but on with the news so Ireland um a recent an uh, independent mp i assume mp the irish equivalent of an mp yeah uh matty mcgrath who is an independent
1: so- he was one of the people that mentioned um the the cow cull and being Oh really? So he's he's
0: on point with everything he brings up Mm. then. So thank you Matty for bringing all of this to our attention. Uh, He said that Ireland needs a referendum on immigration after a 960% increase in new arrivals in one year. He said it's total open borders, got 12,000 homeless people on the streets already and money is being spent on this situation, which could go to those people or to anything else, including potentially not culling hundreds of thousands of cows. An independent Irish lawmaker called for a referendum. Uh, Polling revealed... 75% of Irish people think the country is taking in too many refugees. Speaking to... uh, uh, A polling conducted by Red Sea for the Business Post last month revealed that three in four Irish citizens think that the number of refugees Ireland is taking in is now too many. Just 19% Mm -hmm. disagreed with this sentiment. The problem is, though, whenever you get polls like this, it always comes out the same. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants immigration. Nobody wants to be taking in anywhere near as many refugees as they want. We get this in England as well. But the government goes, well, you know, who you will do it anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. And by the way, this this uh, Matty guy, he's a, a Dala, which is the equivalent of a Member of Parliament in, yeah. in Britain. So he's in the, the lower chamber of their um, legislature.
0: Very interesting. Thank you for that context. And That's all right. Supporters of the mainstream political parties, including 70%, 74% of, and I will butcher these, uh, Fianna fail voters and 70% of the Fine Gael voters were in agreement with the statement these were are the two largest parties in the Irish coalition government which has overseen the to- the largest influx of immigration into the country on record funny how that's just a, a trend everywhere mm. across England and Ireland and the rest of Europe as well recently that just yes we can just take in infinity immigrants this is something that will have no effect, no negative effect on infrastructure or cultural cohesion. This is something that will only ever have positive effects, according to our leaders. A total of eighty-four thousand Ukrainian refugees have arrived in Ireland since the outbreak of the war in their home country. Now there is a, certainly more of an argument to be made for taking in refugees from somewhere like that's actually Ukraine. in a conflict. Yes, <laughs> there isn't. There isn't a conflict. But still, there are benefits and costs to be weighed up. There are trade-offs that you need to consider when taking in a large influx of people, especially considering that Ireland is already a very sparsely populated country that does mm-hmm. not have a, a very large um, population.
1: But the plus is you get loads of Ukrainian babes. So
0: <laughs> This is the one thing. This is, once again, we're going with Berlusconi migration pro- uh, tactics, mm-hmm. are we? I will take as many as we need, as long as they are beautiful women. I wholeheartedly agree with that immigration policy. Well, I mean, you do look uh, Italian, so this only makes sense. (laughs) Uh, While another 15,000 asylum seekers with uh, new asylum applications from other nations were recorded in 2022 alone. And I think the population of Ireland, if you could look it up for me, it's something along the lines of... I've
1: become like Jamie and Joe Rogan. Yeah, thank
0: you. It's it's like three to four million people, I believe. So... um, any amount of refugees will start to tip the balance of the population scales in
1: that country um just over 5 million
0: just over 5 million that's probably increased since borders that's started in 2022 to get
1: opened. and that is 150,000 on top of that 5 million but
0: but the uh, the number of asylum applications was more than six times higher than the previous year while immigration in Ireland also hit a 15 year high in 2022 these individuals who are refused asylum are not leaving the country. Data provided to News Talk following a Freedom of Information request showed that of the 4,631 deportation orders issued to failed asylum seekers between 2018 and 2022 the Office of the Garda National Information Immigration Bureau enforced just 314 of them, or 7%, while the Department of Justice assisted uh, provided assistance in 430 other cases for people who foreign te- voluntarily left Irish territory. The rest remain in the country. So once again, we're seeing this tipping of the scales where thousands of people come in, thousands of people get rejected, and then only a few hundred, if you're lucky, actually get kicked out of the country, which, reasonably speaking, the authorities have the the um, obligation to do for the sake of the native population. So this is happening everywhere across the West right now. And uh, another bad sign, because this is another trend that you start to see in the West, is that Mohammed was the most popular uh, baby boy's name in an Irish city in 2022. Now, it is only 86th in the nationwide ranking Mm -hmm. in Ireland. But if you ask me, in Ireland, it shouldn't be anywhere. On that mm-hmm. list, in fact, it should be variations of Patrick. Is the is the entire list Maybe a that I would Matthews, imagine? Few Matthews, yeah. A few Matthews here and there. Paul, perhaps biblical names. Yes. B- uh, Patrick, Mary, Matthew—biblical names. Those are the only ones mm-hmm. that should be on the list in Ireland, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Maybe Sean as well. Uh, not Mohammed. Not Mohammed because it's the uh, Irish city of Galway. Last year. Mm. Apparently, must be where all of these people are flocking to, and this is just something that you see all over the place. Once again, in England, I think it was the other year Muhammad was the most popular boy's name across the entire country. Well, I mean,
1: say what you will about the Islamic world, but they're not very imaginative for boys' names, are they? So... Well, no,
0: there are variations of how you spell Muhammad, but oh. it's still just Muhammad at the end of the day. You can spell it with a U, mm. you can spell it with an O, you Such can spell it with choice. an A. Isn't, isn't it? I mean, they're just liberating, isn't there, it? They're a very inventive people, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you always wonder to yourself, well, why isn't it? Why isn't it that our countries just can't close the borders? Why is it that we can't just say no to immigration and Return to the kind of population demographics that we had at least in maybe the early nineteen nineties, mm-hmm. maybe the nineteen eighties, maybe before Enoch Powell had to make his speech. Even, but happily, coming back, taking the boat over from Ireland back
1: to the UK now. I want an immigration policy from ninety BC. That's my my stance.
0: Very daring, very challenging. <laughs> I, I I'd like to see it implemented myself, but. Laura Kunzberg um, did an article on why former Home home Secretaries in the UK say it's hard to cut immigration. And the answer may surprise... It won't. It won't surprise you, but I'll go through the article anyway. So I've spoken to five former Home Secretaries, Conservative and Labour, about why it is just so hard to manage the numbers of people who want to come into the UK. If you ask me, it's because the people in charge have no political will to do it and actively Mm -hmm. benefit
1: from destroying the native culture of the country that they administer. Well, large corporations benefit from having lots of cheap labour and they don't care that it's pushing down the wages of native British people as well as increasing housing prices and strain for public services. So, yeah.
0: But we're off to a good start here. We just can't be honest, says one former occupant of one of the hardest jobs in government. The first barrier is a political one. The former Homer secretary said governments want to give the impression that you can do something about it, but it's very, very difficult. Okay, is it because of European Court of Human Rights, like we saw with the Rwanda deportations? Is it because there is just a vast bureaucracy that will refuse to actually administer any ch- any commands given from the top down? What could it be? The Conservatives promised the public that they would get net migration figures under 100,000, but that created a fundamental problem, says another ex-Home Secretary. The government said we'll need to get the numbers down, but the country needs immigrants. There it is. That's the reason. The real reason. The real reason. They've been hiding it from the public for so long. The thing that we see parroted by everybody in charge of immigration in the country. You'd think we parroted... By the BBC, every other article where they talk about immigration. The thing we see parroted by The Guardian, every article that they talk <laughs> about the immigration. Independent, all of the business leaders, bloody the people who voted for Brexit, business leaders, what was his name? The guy who was in charge of Next, who was a Brexit supporter. I can't remember. Who said, well, you know, I voted for Brexit so we could get more immigrants. Basically, I wanted I voted for Brexit so we could further impoverish the native population. Um, it, that's the secret reason. That's the secret reason. The government just can't do it. Just can't do it because we need them. The ex-minister told me it was a target I never believed in. I never thought that it was sensible. And I, I, once again, it's just I knew that this hand-wringing answer would come up in the article because that's what they always say. They present it as though it's something secret, like the public don't know. The public don't know that their ability to go to Pret and have a coffee
1: delivered to them uh, is entirely dependent on foreigners. What if I told you that our country has functioned with much less technology making things more efficient, with a much smaller population than we've had before? And I'm, I'm not going all World Economic Forum on you, like, we need population reduction. Um, I'm I'm just trying to say that, yeah, we don't need immigration, It's okay if we have a gentle population decline, so long as it's actual...
0: We're actually a very small country, Mm -hmm. uh, who is one of the most densely populated in the entire world. I think the Netherlands
1: is more densely populated in Europe than us. also smaller. But yeah, it's basically just a concrete um, slab raised from the ocean... The the Dutch's war against the ocean has has not but continued.
0: (laughs) So that's the one who might be more densely populated from us, who aren't just a tiny city-state. But England is one of the most densely populated countries in the entire world, and we were able to manage perfectly fine before we had masses of foreigners coming into the country. And also, on your point of a slow population decline... Generally speaking if you look into the figures the native english population has remained at about 44 to 45 million mm-hmm. for decades at this point. Yeah. So imagine england except we have that many people which is Ugh. one that the country could easily sustain and you know would probably run much better with that amount of people the nhs as much as it's not something that i'm too in support of mm-hmm. in the first place would actually be able to probably deliver what it's supposed to if it had a population that could that it could manage effectively and also I, I would just like the idea of being able to drive up the M6 back home mm-hmm. without being stuck in an, a, a, a 50 mile long traffic jam
1: so, the entire um, way. This is a, a phrase that I promise I've not said to ex-girlfriends but bigger is not always better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I things... don't know it seems
0: to roll off your lip roll, <laughs> roll out of your mouth like something that you've had a lot of practice.
1: Mm-hmm. But Things tend to be more efficient when they're smaller scale. Um, in in a sort of, you know, the Roman Empire... It's certainly easier to manage. Yeah, that's what I mean. When you're trying to actually run something, it's easier to run something that is small than something that is big. I know this is s- stating the obvious. Carrying on before
0: people in the comments get too excited making jokes at your expense here. <laughs> but
1: my, my point being, <laughs> an economic one, like when an empire grows too large... It's very difficult to administrate, and it becomes efficient and unstable. I think it's good to have smaller sort of organisations.
0: Absolutely true. Uh, Carrying on, this says, uh, Our third former Home Secretary told me it was vainglorious to try to cap the numbers at 100,000, a figure that seems totally and utterly out of reach. This article is just pure propaganda. It's so obviously pure propaganda, but repeatedly promising the public that the numbers will uh, fall makes it hard for ministers to admit that the immigration system is now, ironically after Brexit, more liberal than it was before. At least they could admit that. At least they can admit that the thing everybody voted for Brexit for, reduced immigration, taking back control of the borders, etc., is actually the exact opposite of what we've really gotten. So thank you for Mm -hmm. admitting that. One of the former Home Secretaries said the numbers are sky high because of deliberate Tory policy. True. Fact check. True. Another said we have put in place the most liberal regime ever to enable workers and the economy needs. It doesn't need them. And students to come to the country legally. Our universities are already terrible
1: and shouldn't be importing hundreds of thousands of Chinese Mm -hmm. students every year just to function. It's not even a correct use of the term liberal. I mean, it's using it kind of in the American sense in a way, but English liberalism wasn't necessarily pro-immigration at all. I mean, look at the classical liberals of the 19th century. They weren't importing foreigners into Britain, were they? No,
0: they were exporting natives into foreign countries. Yes! (laughs) Uh, But as much as politicians hate to admit it, there are factors that they cannot control that lead people to leave their countries. Conflict, climate change and economics, which apparently means that we have an obligation to take them in. I don't remember anybody forcing me or anybody else in the country to sign a contract that says, Mm -hmm. if there is conflict literally anywhere in the world then you have to take them in. Last I checked, if there is a homeless person begging for change outside of my house, I do not need to let them in, just because it's the nice thing to do. You you wake up the next day and all
1: your appliances, all of your possessions will be missing.
0: My home suddenly wouldn't be 20 times more economically efficient if I let Mm. all of the homeless people in. Uh, So I don't see how it works on a nationwide scale either. Mm -hmm. But anyway, one warns the pressure is only going one way. If you think it's bad now, you ain't seen nothing yet. Well, that's a a cheery prediction, isn't it? Another was frustrated that our politics has made it difficult to set out a positive case for immigration. There is a problem of a rising population, but it's better than the problem of a falling one. As we have just mentioned, no, it is not. You are a traitor to this nation, and you should be tried as such. And uh, we can see all the other problems that come with immigration as well, including the pathetic Rwanda plan in the first place where people are still debating when the first migrant flight will actually go, across, go ahead, because we already had one planned last year that got pu- uh, pushed aside by the European Court of Human Rights, and now we're looking at September as the best case scenario. The most optimistic idea of what might happen will be September, so thanks for that one. But interestingly, I found the real the actual real reason that nothing is being done, which is kept from a lot of people because they just don't want to admit it, and it, of all places, it doesn't come from a mainstream source, it doesn't come from the BBC, it doesn't come from the Guardian, doesn't even come from the Daily Mail. It comes from the hilarious satirical account Drukpar Kunli, who we have referenced a few times on the podcast because he puts out some hilarious posts, occasionally posts something serious. And uh, this one in particular is very relevant to what I'm talking about right now because it refers to Jonathan Bowden, who is a rather controversial figure. Uh, he did end up, by the end of his career, making speeches for the BNP, so I'm not going to say I avow I, uh, uh, anything like that. But he was, at one point, part of the Tory party and had some interesting insights into the way that the ministers within the Tory party think and how they behave because he had direct contact with these people, including... Michael Gove. So here he quotes a passage from Jonathan Bowden, where he's talking about meeting Michael Gove and warning him about the consequences of mass immigration. Gove said, It's a disaster what's happening in this country, isn't it? But we can't say so and we can't do anything. And I said, Well, why can't we say so, Michael? And he said, It's un British to do anything. Is it? Is it the British so known for sitting on their hands
1: over decades? It's not like we went and conquered most of the known world. Yeah, it's not like we've been involved in lots of conflicts over, you know, over the recent decades either. I mean, we're known for being proactive. We- and and if, you, if you scroll down as well,
0: there's more, there's more in this as well. Jonathan Bowden says that the attitude that these Tory, uh, these Tory party members had was that when he started to bring this up more and more and said, hey, we might ruin the country by letting all of these immigrants in. Why mm-hmm. aren't we going to do something about it? They started to ask him questions like, Jonathan, why are you becoming a fascist? So even within the Tory party, these people are such moral cowards that they recognise the problem, they understand the problem, they're willing to talk about it behind closed doors, but when it comes to actually committing to action, they just don't do it. So I'm completely on the Peter Hitchens train with Mm -hmm. this subject, which is when it comes to active right-wing activism and um, right-wing goals, the Tory party are far worse than Labour because they actively impede and destroy right-wing energy to be able to do anything to affect immigration numbers. Mm -hmm. So before the Tory party is completely destroyed, Mm -hmm. we we will be unable to actually solve any of the problems within the UK because if they go, there'll be a vacuum for right-wing energy and instead of having this terrible party that destroys and uh, and Mm de-emphasises any right-wing measures, there can be something that comes in its place that will actually be willing to do Mm -hmm. something because... The, the character of a party is the character of the people who make up that party. And the p- character of the people who make up the Tory party is weaklings and cowards. If you appreciated that segment from the podcast of the Lotus Eaters, you can go to lotuseaters.com to get access to all the premium contents on the site, such as the Epoch series, this episode on Eleanor of Aquitaine. If you'd like to find out what else is being put out, you can follow on Getter at lotuseaters underscore com on Getter. Thank you and goodbye.